Okay, good morning everyone. There's a lot, a lot I want to do today. And it's intimidating, so I just want to jump in and start with dedicating the shir to the Rafur Shlema of Misha ben Rachel and Susan Bat Beulah. Okay. Uh, okay, so this is a new world for well, for some of us. Yeah, I guess for all of us, it's a new world. Every day is a new world, and I want to explain. I want to explain why um, why this year, Bezrat Hashem, we're going to be swimming in a new ocean. That, that, that we, uh, at least in this context, in this group, we never swam before, and this is the. The real, like, the deep, deep waters of someone who knew everything and taught about everything, more or less. He knew everything, and we're gonna today. We're mainly gonna be speaking about who this person was, about his life, Boketov. He mamash, this is, a, this is someone that mamash, um, what we call yachid bedoro, like, 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 alone, like, just a simple, like, this is the only one in his generation. Now, this, and this is the, this is the world, the Torah and the life of Reb Tzadok HaKohen Rabinowitz of Lublin, Rabbi Tzadok. And Reb Tzadok is, um, because he knew everything, and you, you know people that know that they know everything? Usually you can't stand them, right? Those that know that they know everything, it's like, you can't really talk to them, because you feel, hey, you may feel intimidated, or you know already that they're thinking 33 steps ahead of you. I can't even imagine what it was like to sit by Reb Tzadok. I can't even imagine what that would look like. Good morning. Okay, Tov. Um, you know what? Shoshana, yeah, come, come down one more. You can come. There's, there's a chair, a, a com- more comfortable chair over here if you'd like. You're not disturbing at all. No, chas v'shanu. Now, I, I've been, I've been l- looking at Reb Tzadok HaKohen's Torah from afar for, for over 20 years. And I, I always said, I'm not ready. Mamash, consciously, I always said, I'm not really ready. I've had a few chavrusas over the years in his teachings. This last year, I've had a lot of hashba from a very close friend of mine, who was a big chabad mashpia that got swallowed into the world of Reb Tzadok. He, he sends me Reb Tzadok HaKoyin Taras kimat every day. He went to Reb Tzadok HaKoyin in Lublin, his kever, this week. He sent me a picture from there. And his yotzeit was was three days ago, so it's it's just very very special to Dafka start the learning, uh, uh, and this and this of this giant, this week, also this week another very beautiful thing happened, for a while for a while, there's been this beautiful chevra in Tel Aviv, that have they started this like Anglo chevra young Anglo chevra, and they started uh, a really beautiful chabura in Reb Tzaduk. How many, how long ago? 139 weeks ago. How do I know that? Because, yeah, who knows, like, who, weeks. Like, oh, 139 weeks ago. Because they started learning the book, one of Reb Tzadok's books called Tzitzka Tzadik. They do, every week they do one seif, and they're up to Kuf Lametet. That's the only reason why I know. Because when I was there, so I went there this past, uh, 
Monday, Tuesday night maybe, Tuesday night I was there, and I said, uh, I said, asked them, how long have you been doing this? They said, actually, 139 weeks. And uh, we were learning their Kuf Lamented in one of Reb Tzadokah Cohen's books. Now, his, like we said before about Reb Tzadokah Cohen of Lublin, he, he was, he knew everything and he spoke and taught about absolutely everything. Sorry, do you mind just closing the, the door? Thank you. Uh, is it? Yeah, people can come in. Come in. So today, it's very in, not in, but a lot of us, we've spoken about this quite often. We, love, we, we feel connected to everybody. We feel connected to the teachings of the Balatanya. We feel connected to Rabbi Nachman. We feel connected to the Meshiloach. We feel connected to the, the, the Svatanet. We feel connected to the Gdusha Slevi. And today, that's more and more common. Back then, it really was not the story. You really had a certain path, and you, that's all you were also pretty much exposed to. Reb Tzadok is the exception to this. Reb Tzadok Akon of Lublin, Bichlal comes from a, 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 a non-Hasidic dynasty, Legamre. And there's a lot more on that that, that that we'll get to. But he becomes this Hasid, and he merges these two worlds in a way that only he could do it. But if you asked him, what were you, a Hasid or a Misnagid? There's no doubt in our minds, he would say, full on I'm a Hasid. Like, there's no, no Shaila. Of who? Of who is one of the most intriguing pieces for me, personally. Because Reb Tzadok Akon of Lublin, throughout his teachings, he quotes, he says, Harav, and he's referring to Balatanya, when he's, when he's saying Harav. We have a dude that there was... Tzfarim of Rabbi Nachman on Rabbi Tzadok Akoin's shtender in his base midrash um, always, all the time. He always had, he always had Rabbi Nachman Tzfarim. He also has a perush. This is very, very crazy. He has a perush on one of Rabbi Nachman's Tzfarim. He has a perush on Sefer Hamidus of Rabbi Nachman. Now that's already two worlds. This is, this is unbelievable. But Rabbi Tzadok Akoin of Lublin is probably one of the most prime, prime pupils of the Ishbitzer, of the Me'ashilach. So these are worlds that, for us, in our Hevra, these are so many worlds coming together. Now, his Torah is so big, it's, it's beautiful, it's sweet, it's not cute vorts. We're going to become, if, if we're not already, Talmidot Chachamot, we're going to become like, you're going to, we're going to learn. We're going to learn how to learn. We're going to learn different, different sections of different topics and, um, and be surprised as to how much we can cover through taking Reb Tzadok and just going through one piece. But it's really, we're going to use our minds because his mind was so sharp, so sharp. That's the best, uh, you know, after, after just going over the, out, the outline of his life and a few of his teachings, chad, mamash sharp, sharp, sharp. And it's going to be great for us. I'm, like, it's time for Yitzchat and I'm so thankful. I'm so happy about it. I'm so excited about it. Now, why didn't I tell you to buy a certain Sefer of Reb Tzadok? Because it's so vast, and there's so much out there. What's interesting is that what we have from Reb Tzadok, even though there's so many Svarim, is nothing close to what was actually written. But the Germans, Yemach Shemon, they destroyed tons and tons of his manuscripts, of his svarim, of his perushim on, on, on Rambam that he composed at the age of 15. Tons of different things. So even though we have a lot, it's nothing close to what was. 
I'll be provi- unless until we get to a situation where we're like, you know what, we're only sticking to this sefer. I'll be providing every week the material. Um, but I, I think everyone should have like the pre tzaddik in their house. That's his parish on the chumash and on moadim. But now I'm going to start, and I'm going to start to tell you. And you should also have Dover Meisharim, Divrei Sofim, Resisei Laila, like Sichas Malachi Asheres. There are all these farm that are filled with 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 richness, with with mama. What I want to do today, as we're going into the world of Reb Tzadok, is to start just with a lot of biographical information, because it'll put things into context. And then, but but hopefully we'll have some time at the end to do something tachlis, a little bit, uh, uh, a very, very beautiful short piece. So, Reb Tzadokokoyen, what's interesting though, as I'm, I'm saying these names of these tzaddikim, and we're thinking about, wow, what, you know, Reb Tzadok died in the year 1900, which is, which is pretty shocking. He died at the, at the age of, uh, I think he was 77, he was born in 1823, and he died in the year 1900. Just because there's Mamash like, because there's a nine there, we feel more connected to him. It's so funny, you know, right? Just because there's a nine in the number of, his, of, of the year of his patira. It wasn't even 100 years ago. More than 100 years Right? 120, 122 years ago. <laughs> but yes, it's, and yet we feel, we feel shaykhist it. And generally speaking, we divide his life to four periods. And I'm, there's four different periods. One is from his birth till basically the time he meets his Rebbe. And that's 1823 till 1845, 23 years. And we'll talk about those years. Those are very, very interesting and very <clears throat> painful years. Very painful years. 1823 to 1845. He meets his Rebbe, the Mashi Loach, the Ishbitzer. His life gets completely twisted over, changed over. And that's only nine years. That's 1845 till 1854. So he spends, he has nine years with his Rebbe. Zell, nine years. Then there's a period that's called the Shtika. There's like silence. And that's from 1845 till 1888. That's, that's a chunk of years. That's a, that's a lot of years. It's called Shtika. It's called silence because after he met the Mashilach and after the Mashilach died, he was completely mevutal to the next Rebbe in that line after the Ishbitzer died. And we'll get to who that Rebbe was. And when he was by that Rebbe, he didn't speak. He was very quiet. He wrote. And he was learning day and night like it's no one's business. But that's known more or less of his years going inward. All right? Now the last period is basically the last 12 years of his life when he became the Rebbe. 1888 till 1900, and in those years he spoke, and he spoke a lot. So those are four different sections, and we're going to go with the first section right now. Like I said before, he did not come, Reb Tzadik does not come from the world of Hasidim at all. He comes, not that Misnagdim were around for that long, but he comes from a line of, of Misnagdim, from one line. And he also comes from the lineage of the Chacham Tzvi and the Shla Kadosh. And uh, his father, maybe this was what this is what opened his heart to be open to Hasidim, is that his father, his name was Rabbi Yaakov, and his father was like a like like a rav that took care of people, and like you know he had a, a shtetl and everything. He had a shteller, and his father tolerated Hasidim. But back then, if you tolerated Hasidim, 
So Misnagdim thought that you were basically like an undercover spy, and he had to run and leave his village where he was the Rav, just because he was okay with Hasidim, and like the Moel could be a Hasid, the Shochet could be a Hasid. Back then, so we don't live in this era anymore. There are no real Hasidim or Misnagdim anymore. It doesn't, you know, it, it, it doesn't exist anymore. Back then it was actually something. So his father tolerated Hasidim. It was actually like he was okay with having Hasidim around. But it forced him that he had to leave. Okay? This is his father, Rabbi Yaakov. And at six, this is where it gets pretty painful, because when he was six, his father died. Now, this is a very traumatic piece of his life. His father dies when he's six, and then his mother gets remarried right away. But already by this age, people can see that this, this tzaduk, this young Cohen, is a genius. He's not like other kids, bichlal. He's an ilui. This is, it's a very strange thing. He has this different approach. Listen, he comes from great yichos, but they saw a lot in him. The mother, reasons that we don't really understand, when the mother gets remarried, he goes and moves in with his father's brother, with his uncle, who was a big tzaddik, and he, has a, he had a perush, a, a kapot hazav, he was a big blamdan, and, they, and I guess back then they felt it'd be best if this little tzaddok can go and be raised by his uncle, who was a huge Talmud Chacham. And there he could develop into the Talmud Chacham that this little tzaddok is going to be. So from six years old, his father dies, and then his, he's not with his mother either. And he was sent off to be with his uncle, Rabbi Yaakov Akoin um, Rabinowitz. Now, you think that the weirdness stops there? Bichlal, no, it's just starting, okay? A year later, after he goes and lives with his uncle, his uncle goes off to raise money to Prince Farm of his Sefer Kapotazav, and he disappears. <laughs> he doesn't come back. So his father died a year before. His mother then said, you go and live with your uncle. Now the uncle left town as well. So, and no one knew where he was. So what did they do? Reb Tzadok is seven years old, and he does what's called a hashba'at chalom. Hashba'at chalom. Have you ever heard of that? Hashba'at chalom. Hashba'at chalom is, you have to be deeply immersed. And, and I know it's hard for us to understand this because he was seven years old. But you have to be deeply immersed in a certain realm of, the, of, of, of Kabbalah where you can ask a she'elas shalom, you can, a she'elas chalom, you can ask a question in a dream, by taking upon yourself certain things, and you can get an answer in a dream. This is someone that died in 1900, not 1500 years ago, okay? That's what he makes it even more crazy, this story. He does this thing, and he goes into, he has a dream at night, and in the dream they tell him the location of where his uncle was. They go to the town, it was called Krinik, and lo and behold, he's there, and he, for reasons that are left out of all the biographical works on Reb Tzadok, he took upon himself the position as Rav and Krinik, but he never really informed anybody that this is what he did. But anyway, Reb Tzadok, as a little kid, he goes and he moves there to Krinik, where he found his uncle. And he sits there and he learns and he learns, and he became known as the Ilui of Krinik. Okay? He's a, now, by this age, he's covering just about everything. I mean, at, at eight years old, he finishes Shas. <clears throat> Eight. Okay? Eight years old. 
he finishes Shas. No art scroll, no Stein. This, this is, he finishes the whole Shas at the age of eight. And many, many other works. So you could just imagine back then, what made you like the hottest, like what made you the, the hottest deal for a Shidduch was only based on your learning. So everyone was looking to see who they can get for their daughter by looking at him. Everyone, they were waiting and waiting and waiting. I believe when he's 14 years old, the shidduch is made with a very, very wealthy man um, who was actually a, a Chernobler chassid, which is interesting because, again, he's still not, a, he's not in the chassidus yet, Reb Tzadik. But he becomes, he gets engaged to a girl that comes from a Chernobler home, very, very wealthy, wealthy family. They owned a wine business. And here is where things get interesting. Well, first of all, this father, a year later they get married. He's 15 years old, she's 13. And the father-in-law is so proud that look what he has. And he sets up in their home a special area for his son-in-law to learn. Now back then it was pretty normal that in the beginning when you got married, you'd be able to, you'd be able to you know, if, if the family that you're marrying into could, elect, could afford it, you would go and sit by your shulchan of your father-in-law and sit and learn as long as you could. But here he was like given a whole section of a house and saying, here you can't come in here. And we know about a lot of things that Reb Tzadok wouldn't let anyone into the room, I think all year long because of a chashash of chametz, that he worried all year long. He had a lot of stringencies back then. Yeah, he was very machmir. People would come, and he, even though he came from a very wealthy home then, he, he lived in, if it was up to him, like very, very little. People would come from, he didn't take money for anything, only from Pidyon Aben money. Because everyone wanted this Kohen to be the, do the Pidyon. They came from all over Europe once they heard about him, that he should come and be the, 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 the Kohen, but the Pidyon Aben. And the money that he made from Pidyon Aben, he only used for one thing, Sfarim. His library was insane. Crazy library room to the head. And again, no, no one, like, there was a distance, all right? There was a certain distance. This was just a different breed of a person. Now, Reb Tzadok had different things. I told you it was very machmiyan. He only ate, he would only eat by a Seudas mitzvah. Which, so what is the, what's a Seudas mitzvah? Either you go to a bris or a bar mitzvah, or, no, nah, bar mitzvah, they probably didn't hold of back then. Uh, a, a wedding. Make a siyum. So what do you do? Make a siyum every day. He finished the masechta every single day. I'm going to say it again. He finished the masechta of Shas every single day. Every Shabbos morning, he did a siyum on masechet Eruvin. Eruvin, when the guys go through Daf Yomi and they're in Eruvin, that's when they kvetch the most about how complicated and difficult it is. Not just the guys. Women are learning Daf Yomi today too. Everyone knows Eruvin is... It, you need a lot of Mesiyat Dishmaya and Mesiyat Nefesh, right? He does a siyum every Shabbos morning on Eruvin, and by Mincha on Shabbos, he does a siyum on Masechet Shabbat. <laughs> Do you understand what we're dealing with a little bit, bit more now? This is a brain... Again, it's... It, it, the art school has how many volumes of Shabbos? Four volumes, I think, right? This, this is a different breed. Again, like whatever I say won't come close to explain the, this... This neshama and this brain, okay? And here we come to basically something that I'm sure if you've heard anything about Reb Tzadok, this is the story you probably heard of. And this is a very painful story. 
told you he got married, he gets married to a very wealthy man's daughter at the age of 15, a Chernobyl chassid. And this person, this father-in-law, must have been raising a lot of kina, a lot of jealousy. He had a few daughters. They were all very mutzlachot. They were all, you know, very much nechshakot. People wanted to be with, with them. They were an illustrious family. They all married big, but especially this father-in-law, he, I think his name was Reb Shmuel Leib, Reb Shmuel Hirsch, he got the Kayan, he got Reb Tzadok, and it drove people insane. It drove people wild, and there was so much kina. So what did they start doing? And this is a horrible thing, and it has horrible, in a weird way, it has horrible ramifications, but in another way, it's the reason we actually know about him and we're sitting and learning his Torah, People would leave notes in Reb Tzedek's Gemaras and in his Zohars with tainas that his wife is not being faithful to him. So he would receive these notes and it started to really freak him out. And he didn't say that much because he was, obviously he didn't want to make any more of whatever was happening to him, but they would leave these notes and leave, this was happening for a while. Then someone came to Reb Tzedek and said, oh listen, there's a problem in your, father, in your father-in-law's store in the wine store where his wife would work, you have to come for a second, they need you. And as Reb Tzadok came to the wine store to help his wife out, um, he saw that at that moment there was, a, there was a military, there was a general, a non-Jewish man came and he put out his hand to his wife the second that, he, that Reb Tzadok walked in. Now, of course, there are millions of versions as to like, what he exactly saw it's funny, most versions say that all he saw was that the hand was put out to her. Some say that she, even she was feared, there was moral malchus, there was such fear, because that's, you know, that's what they did back then, general would come and put your hand, if you didn't put your hand back, who knows what would happen to you. Whatever it is, Reb Tzadok sees this, and he basically decides at that moment, I'm out of here. I have enough, you know, tainas, I have enough tainas that people have been putting these notes, giving me these notes, and I see with these own eyes now, honestly, we know later on, yeah, these, these manuvalim, these people that were involved in this, they planned it, that this general should come exactly at the moment Reb Tzadok comes to the store. This woman was Kshera the Gamre. It's not my opinion. I'll tell you whose opinions it were. That this woman was actually totally faithful, and there was nothing that she did wrong. The, I mean, this is how Hasidim say the story, that these people that were bringing up these tainas and stirring things up, each one suffered tremendously in their life after this Misa happened. The wife refuses to receive a get. She said, I did nothing wrong. I don't know what you're talking about. Whatever you've heard, and he starts saying, you know, I have these notes putting in my, being put in my gemaras, people are speaking. And also I saw with my own eyes, she said, you didn't see anything. But you, we have to understand what kind of a person we're speaking about. This is fifth... Uh, Let's see. If he meets the Ishbitzer at 23, he's probably 20 or 21, maybe. Mm-hmm. Mashu Kazan. children? Not yet. Now, he goes off, and he's dest- he is determined to get a get. Now, what do you do if, you can't, if your wife is Messiah of get? Mm-hmm. So it's called Heter Me'a Rabbanim. It came up recently, in the Israeli media, because of, you know who? Shuli Rand. <laughs> right? Shuli Rand's wife, Michal, refused to kabel the get. But then Shuli Rand 
married. These names probably don't mean anything to you, but anyone that grew up in Israel, this is, um, it's, it's just really a, a very, very interesting story. He marries Tzofit Grant. Granat, okay? She's a whatever. And everyone's wondering, wait a second. How in the world could this be? He's still married to this woman, Michal. Now, I'm not, this is not about them, or it's not about Reb Tzadok. I want to speak to you for a second about what the Heter Me'er Rabbanim is. What, what does this mean? There's, a, there's an Indian. We know that according to Cherem de Rabbeinu Gershon, a man cannot have another woman besides his wife. Now, we know from the Torah that these things did happen, but it could never be that a woman can have more than one husband. And the halacha is clear why that is. It all has to do with yichus. I don't want to get into that piece right now. I want to explain how the heter mer works. The heter, to find a hundred rabbis to sign off on your legal halachic claims that demand a get, that you need a hundred different rabbis from three different countries. Okay, now back then that was pretty, pretty complicated as well. From three different Medinot, you need a hundred rabbis to sign after seeing your analysis of why your claims are justified for demanding a get. Now, you have to understand who we're dealing with. He could write the best tshuva in the world, Reb Tzadok kind of Lublin, right? So he sat down, he wrote it thoroughly, a thorough, thorough tshuva, and he starts traveling to get the heter. And he gets a lot of heters, but on the way he doesn't get from certain people. And I want to share with you a few stories about rabbis that would not give him. Actually, I have a picture of one of them. And I want to show this to you. This is probably the most important piece over here. Remember I told you that his father-in-law was a Chernobyler chassid, right? So when this happened, the father-in-law went right to his rebbe, Reb Aaron of Chernobyl. Now, Reb Aaron of Chernobyl was like the great of that era. He was the, from the Skenim. This is a direct line from the Chernobyl Rebbe, the Ma'orinayim, all the chevra that your David would speak about, Tolna, Trisk, Tversky, that's the Oren it's that line. And he went to the Rebbe Aaron of Chernobyl and he said, you're not going to believe what's going on right now with my son-in-law. And now he's going off to get Heter Me'ar Rabbanim. So Rebbe Aaron of Chernobyl says, okay, so I'm sure he's going to come. He'll eventually come here. And lo and behold, Reb Tzadok ends up, a little bit later, by Reb Aaron of Chernobyl, and he shows him the whole thing. This is what he looked like. This is Reb Aaron Chernobyl. It's, very, it's amazing to see these pictures. This is Reb Aaron of Chernobyl. All right? And he goes to, the, he goes to Reb Aaron Chernobyl, and he hears the story, and Reb Aaron Chernobyl says to him, your wife is completely mutter to you. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, your wife is completely muttered to you. It's true. Everything you wrote down is true in halachic analysis, but your wife is completely muttered to you. Reb Tzadok says to him, you're speaking to me as a Rebbe. You're speaking like Ruach HaKodesh, that you know, but Torah down here. And I'll pee the way halacha works based on what I was told and based on what my eyes saw, I have to megarish her. She has to receive a get. I can't be with her anymore. And Reb Aaron Chernobyl said to him, you know, destroying the reputation of someone that's a faithful Jewish woman, you, it's, it's, it's going to be bad for you. It's going to be very bad for you. And, he, and he, he goes off. So that, he didn't get Reb Aaron Chernobyl as one of the hundred signatures. Then he goes to the Tzanzer Rebbe, the Divrei Chaim is still alive. 
He goes to Reb Chaim Sanze, and he brings the same thing. Reb Chaim Sanze says to him, I'm telling you that Al Pidin, it's mutter. She's muttered for you. I'm telling you. He says, no, you're, again, he said to me, no, you're talking to me like a Rebbe. I'm telling you, and he, and he, and he leaves him. But before he leaves him, Reb Chaim Sanze says to him, I'm warning you that if you do this, you're never going to have children. The Kachaya. He never had children. Now, he also goes to the Chidush Yarim. It's, it's amazing, huh? He's like traveling. He's doing the Heter Meir Rabbanim. He's going to Reb Aaron Chernobler. He's going to the... He also met Reb Shlomo Kluger. He, he, went to, he, went to, he went to Mamish, whoever he could back then. And then when he goes to the Chidush Yarim, the Chidush Yarim could, 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 could talk to Reb Tzadok in learning. So he's going over the tshuva with him. You know, Chidush Yarim was such a gaon, such a gaon atzum. This is the first Ger Rebbe. Rebbe Tzadok Meir of Gur. He was such a gone. They're going over the tshuva that he wrote up saying why he, it's really, he shouldn't be with his wife. And the Chiddush says, I think there's one pina in the Tosfos that you didn't understand perfectly, that it might not add up. Years later, Reb Tzadok HaKoyen said that he should have listened to that, la- that one comment that the Chiddush said about one piece of a Tosfos that he probably didn't understand that correctly. But what happened was happened, and while he's traveling, looking for the Heter Me'ar Rabbanim, so he comes across, now there's a few versions to this story, and I, I, the, the first version that I heard was from Rav Weinberger, but I knew there were other versions as well, so, so, did, so did Rav Weinberger. So I first want to tell you the versions that I heard elsewhere, and then we'll get to Rav, Rav Weinberger heard directly from Rav Shlomo Freifeld, who was the Rosh Yeshiva of Shah Yashuv. And this is where it gets very, very interesting. You know, sometimes we speak about meetings between two neshamas, and we feel like the world was waiting for these two souls to meet, like Eliyahu and Elisha. Um, we, can go through, we can go through the Tanakh and see certain meetings between people in Breslov. Of course, it's that faithful moment that Reb Nassim and Reb Nachman met. And it's like this throughout the generations. The meeting that takes place between Reb Tzedek Koin and the Mea Shiloach, has left an imprint in my neshama forever, forever, when I heard this story. Not the first story I'm going to tell you, the second story I'm going to tell you. The first story I'm going to tell you is that when Reb Tzadok HaKohen was looking for the Heter Me'ar Rabbanim, so he gets to, I believe, he gets to, um, I forget which town, and I, want to, I don't want to misquote the name of the town. Could be Warsaw, not sure where. And... He sees there the head of the Beisdin is sitting in Pilpul. He's learning very, very deeply with the, with the younger man. And he could see that this Gadol, this Gaon, who's much older, is sitting with the younger man. But there's like deep, deep learning. But he could tell that the younger man was already a Chassid. So they, he asked, who's this younger man? They said his name. Ah, someone said to him. You wouldn't believe it. It's the rebel. It's 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 the it's the Eger rebel. What's who's the Eger rebel? It was Reb Lebel Eger who rebelled from his family, Reb Shlomo Eger, Reb Yekiva Eger, and he became a Chassid after meeting the Kotzker and he sat with the Ishbitz and really from the with the Ishbitzer. So the story is that Reb Tzadok said after looking at Reb Lebel Eger, he said, "I need to meet someone that can make Reb Yekiva Eger's grandson into a Chassid." which brought him to the Ishbitz. The other version is like this, that 
Remember, the Ishbitzer was a follower, Talmud Chavar of the Kotzker. Long story, we're not going to do a whole biography on the Mashiach. They have a parting on Simchas Torah, the famous Simchas Torah. Motzei Simchas Torah, the Ishbitzer leaves and he settles in Ishbitz for 13 years. And after 13 years, he dies. But for 13 years, he was reigning in the town of Ishbitzer. I got such kina, a friend of mine from New York last night wrote me his itinerary for a trip he's doing to Poland today. There's all these names that, that we're talking about right now. He's going to be in Kotsk, he's going to be in Ishbitz, he's going to be in Lublin this week. It brought a lot of you know, kisufim. So listen to this story. When I heard this the first time, you know, it was someone once said about, uh, Reb Zaman said about Reb Shlomo that he was the king of virtuous reality. Right? It's a pretty weird... Uh, what does virtuous reality mean? Like, it's a pretty weird statement. But what is virtual reality? You ever put those things on? Did any of you do that? It's a pretty wild thing. Remember when it first came out, when we were kids, we would take the bus from Renana to Tel Aviv, Dizengoff Center, do nothing and come home five hours later. But the one thing I remember doing was, oh, we bought cigars and we felt very, very cool. Even though we were 15, choking our brains, uh, thinking it's cool to smoke a cigar. But other than that, what did we do? It was virtual reality. I remember putting these back then. It was massive machshirim. You had to stand and nothing like what it is today. But what it means is, like in our context, that sometimes, based on the way a person tells a story over, you actually could see it. And you're in it. And you don't forget it forever, but you don't forget it in the way that you, it was given over to you. Right? So were these stories exactly the way it happened? This is Torah Shabbat Peh. This is the way we, 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 we learn these stories, right? So the way that I heard the story goes as follows. Reb Tzodok, while he's traveling for this Heter Meher Rabbanim, ends up one Friday morning in Ishbitz. Now the way, now, the man, and then he, what does he do? He's been traveling, traveling. He sees there's a base medrash there. He goes to the base medrash, opens up the Gemara, and starts learning. That's what he did. The Ishbitzer, who's sitting in his side room, with his Ruch HaKodesh, hears, he, he could sense the Ilui of Krinik, right? This Godel, this, this, this Tzadok HaKoyen of Lublin, he's here. So he tells his Shamas, tonight, if he's here for Shabbos, which back then, if you were there, if you were somewhere on a Tuesday, it meant you were there for Shabbos. Definitely if you're there Friday morning, he said to him, make sure that he sits next to me by the Tish tonight. The Shamas came up to him, and told him, the Rebbe wants you to sit next to him by the tish tonight. He said, are you kidding me? Mapiton. And he ignored it. But he was listening to the tish. Again, the tish Shabbos morning after davening, the Shamis goes up to Reb Tzadok, who back then, you know, no one knew who he was, unless you spiritual, unless you had like a ruchak. You know, no one, there were no pictures back then. We don't have a picture of Reb Tzadok. So today we don't have a picture of Reb Tzadok. We don't have a picture of the Mashiach. We don't have a picture of... Um, of the Beis Yaakov. We have a picture of Rebbe Eger. Shockingly. But we don't have pictures of the other Hebron. So, the Shamis goes to him again before, the, after, before the, the Tish, after davening, and he says to him, the Rebbe really demands your presence to come and sit over here by... He sits and does his thing, but he's listening. By Shalashudis, again he was asked, but he's still standing on the side. And the way the story goes by, I saw it already two different sources, is the same thing by now. That while the Rebbe is, while the Meashiloch is teaching, 
while he's giving over Torah, the Meshilach is teaching on Shabbos afternoon by Shalashuris, suddenly there's a scream in the back of the base Medrash. Ah! Ah! The Rebbe is pouring acid in my heart. The Rebbe is pouring acid into my heart. Ah! I can't, I can't. So they brought him up and they sat him. Finally, he agreed to sit next to the Meshilach. And there were some words going on that most of the words we don't know. But one sentence was caught by a bite by someone that was standing there. And they overheard Reb Tzadok HaKoyen saying to the Ishbitzer, I realized until this moment what my Indian is in life. I have such a brain, but I don't have a heart. And the Ishbitzer said to him, no, you, you do have a heart. You just don't know how to access it. And from that day on, he did not... Now remember, it's only nine years in a physical like, like format where they were together. He did not leave the, the, the word of the Mashilach. It was his Rav Muvak. This is someone that finished Shas at eight, that met every Gadol of his time, that already wrote many, many different commentaries and works till then. But when he got to the Mashilach, did you ever have a moment where you, you, you met you know, many people, you met many great people, but something happens to you when you meet a certain individual and you're not scared that you're falling into a cult, it's just it feels right and good and holy and nachon, right? It happens to us sometimes. That's what happened at that fateful moment when Reb Tzedek HaKoyin is 23 years old. And remember, if he finished Shas, at eight means he's been learning and learning and seeing everything, and he stops, and he doesn't leave. And he never left the Ishbitz's world. So at the moment that that happened, was he learning the Meshilach's Torah? No, I mean, was he was happening? listening to the Meshilach. It was the Meshilach himself. It was the Meshilach, the Ishbitz himself. Sorry, the Meshilach, I, I, I realize not everyone knows these names. The Meshilach's name was Reb Mordechai Yosef Leiner. Reb Mordechai Yosef Leiner, that's why his, his book is called Mei HaShiloach. Mei is Mem Yud, Mordechai Yosef. Mei HaShiloach. He was a Talmud of someone whose Yorzeit is today, actually. Reb Simcha Bonam Pshischa. It's amazing. It's a lot, a lot going on right now. So the Pshischa, it's, it's, it's a whole world within the Polish world of Hasidut. So the Mei HaShiloach didn't have a Mei There was no Mei HaShiloach besides the person. Right? The Svarim were in there. This is the, this is the, this is the Ishbitzer himself giving over Torah. And he's 23. His life changed completely from that moment. Um, and at this time already, he gets the Heter. After he finished, he got 100 Rabbanim. He goes to Lublin. He has a Zivuk Sheni. He gets married again. And like the sons of Rebbe told him, you're not going to have any kids. He had a great marriage, but they never had any kids. He got a gift? Huh? He gave her, meaning, no. I don't know and I don't think that this woman ever accepted the get. But he did get what's called the heter of the hundred rabbis that he could get remarried. Can she remarry? Sorry? She has to makabal the get. She has to makabal the get. Now, this brought up in 2022 a lot of very sensitive issues when this happened with Shuli Rand. Uh, it's not something you, it's so common, although I, I just, I read a, like I read a, an article about this. It happens about 11 times a year throughout the world. Huh? 
you'd actually think, if you think about it, you'd actually think that it would probably happen a lot more. With the rate of divorce and sides and machlokets, you'd actually probably think it's a lot more. Why does it only happen 11 times a year? Because to find... Usually it's the opposite problem. But again, what ended up happening is that a lot of people are saying, listen, if he could do that, why can't she go to Matt? Why can't a woman go to 100 rabbis and, and rip her out of... I actually think that we're probably on the, on the direction of the way things are going, that something's got to give. Everybody Riskin has tried very, very hard to open new ways in approaching this whole, the whole, you know, inyan that we're... It's very, you know, delicate matter. Again, I don't want to get into that right now. Just to tell you, he did get remarried, but the Tzantzah Rebbe's words to him st- stayed. And he, he, never, he had a great marriage, but they never had any children. Yeah. Hashbat Chalom, yeah. So is that something that's come up before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm sure, well, and listen, Nevua, prophecy itself, one of the ways that prophecy came down to, like what, what we say about Moshe Rabbeinu was his greatness was, is that the prophecies were never through a dream, which means that most of them, or many of them, were through dreams. So this thing of Hashbat Chalom was a, uh, a common Kabbalistic practice, I guess, in, in a certain era, but not by seven-year-old kids in the 19th century. <laughs> you know, seven-year-old kids in the 19th century were not walking around doing Ashbaz Chalom, right? Probably not. Now, the only person that he could really talk to, because he was such an illustrious gong, was Reb Leibola Eger. Now, the Ishbitzer dies nine years later, and then a third of the Hasidim in Ishbitz, only a third, continued with the Ishbitzer's son, Rabbi Yaakov, the base Yaakov that we learned from. But two thirds went to Rabbi Leibola Eger. And Rabbi Tzadok sat by Rabbi Leibola Eger, how many years is it? 20, seems like a, a chunk of time, actually. I think. What's that? Yeah, that's a. He's there, for, he's there for 33 years. And he's not saying anything. He's mevuta legamra to Reb Eger. And um, after Reb died, like I said, he stopped his silence and he became a Rebbe. So now let's go, let's go um, even two years later. So he becomes a Rebbe. His second wife dies. And... Um, now he, now he already he remarries again, and this time he remarries an almana, a widow, and who has children. And we even know from writings that he, he tried very hard to take care of these children, help them get married. He was very poor. Rebbe did not live. He, he barely, it was not as Indian in life at all. Although he came from money, and he married into big money from the first time. So Rebbe over here now becomes Rebbe, and he's in Lublin. Up until World War II, there was the famous... Did you ever go to the site? Uh, of, no, 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 of his base medrash, which was pretty close to the Lubliner's base medrash. It's not there anymore, so he wouldn't know. But it was a very famous base medrash of Reb Tzedek of Lublin. He's ready, he's getting older, he's in his mid-60s, he's turning 70 soon. And this is a beautiful... This, I, I know you're all going to love this piece. This is like, you know, pretty shaky biography so far, no? I mean... Not exactly your typical story. I don't know how many of you are, are freaked out by this or more intrigued, but put, things every, every, put everything into context. I mean, this may be the only thing that brings you back to Shir next week, uh, truth, truthfully be told, okay? 
<laughs> so what does he say? What, what happens over here? Reb Tzodok realizes I'm getting old. What do I want to do? I want to move to Eretz Yisrael. Reb Tzodok had a brother that already made Aliyah. I think his name was Reb Shol of Vigdor. Reb Shmuel of Vigdor. I don't remember. And Reb Tzodok was writing him letters to set up shop. He's like, listen, all my tires, and we'll see inside. Reb Tzodok speaking about it. He covers everything. Of course, one of the thing that he, things that he covers is all about the Kedushas Eretz Yisrael. So in his heart, he's longing. He wants to go to Eretz Yisrael so badly, he starts writing letters to his brother about moving to Eretz Yisrael. Okay, what's the problem? The brother starts writing back tons of letters saying, okay, I'm setting it up, and it's perfect, but Reb Tzadik is sitting in the base Medrash every day, Nachon. Hmm? Okay. So Reb Tzadok wants to move to Eretz Yisrael. The brother is writing back letters to Reb Tzadok setting up shop from Takan move to Eretz Yisrael. This reminds me of the Piyasetzner. Remember the Piyasetzner Rebbe also had a brother, Rishaya. That he already he was living in Eretz Yisrael and he was setting up shop for the Ish for the Piyasetzner to move to Eretz Yisrael, but the Piyasetzner consciously chose to stay in Galus for 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 very very you know many many reasons deep reasons. What ends up happening is that the Hasidim realized they were reading the letters that the brother was sending back, preparing the move for Reb Tzadok to go to Eretz Yisrael, and they they basically didn't tell Reb Tzadok and they. This, you know, they basically interfered here, and they didn't give him the letters from his brother. And he said, you know, I'm not receiving anything back. It's a someone from Shemayim that I'm supposed to stay here. And he stayed, and he never moved back, because they stopped the letters from reaching the base Medrash, where Reb Tzadok was Yom Belayla. So that's Reb Tzadok's Chassidim. Reb Tzadok's Chassidim, they themselves stopped the letters from getting to Reb Tzadok. Everything was set up. Can you imagine if the Kayan of Lublin would have moved to Eretz Yisrael? What year we're talking about? We're talking about 1890. Um, you know, if Cook wasn't here yet, there's a lot to say. There's a book written about Shnei Kohanim Akdolim talking about Rav Cook and Rav Tzadok. They never met each other, but Rav Cook did see the Ksavim of Rav Tzadok Akon of Lublin when he came to Eretz Yisrael. But can you imagine if, if Rav Tzadok would have made Aliyah? What a chutzpah, right? You know what it reminds me of? What story? In the Torah, does it remind you of? In the Torah? So, remember the Meraglim were the greatest Geonim that ever existed. They were prophets. How could they have said what they had said? So it's actually a Torah from the Meshilach, remember? The Meraglim said what they said about Eretz Yisrael because they knew prophetically that if they would have reported that Eretz Yisrael is perfect and beautiful and good then it would have been time to say goodbye to their Rebbe, to Moshe Rabbeinu. And they didn't want to leave Moshe Rabbeinu. So the Ishbitzer's Kav's Chut on the Miraglim is that they just couldn't let go of their Rebbe. So they got another four, they thought they'd get another whatever, how much time with the Rebbe. It's also not true though, because most, they all died, besides Yeshua and Kalev. So they didn't get all those years with their Rebbe, because a whole new generation was the ones that were, you know, born during those 40 years in the desert. It's selfish, um, all of us should be selfish in a manner of just wanting time with our Rebbe. That, 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 that's where our selfishness gets expressed. But it's very painful. 
very, very painful. So Reb Tzadok never, never comes to Eretz Yisrael, and he dies, he passes away, he's buried in, 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 in the cemetery in, in Lublin, and even though at the end, you know, he was able to leave a huge, huge legacy of Torah, monumental legacy of Torah, as an individual, Reb Tzadok is one of the most intriguing figures we have in the world of Hasidus. One of the most intriguing figures. You have to understand something. Someone that's that's the Mertz and Torah knows the halachas of Kohen. The halachas of being a Kohen are different than non-Kohanim. Kohanim have extra shmiras and extra kpedas. They cannot marry anyone that they want. There's a lot of different things that are on them that they can't marry. So we always say, okay, so we know that a Kohen can't marry a what? A Grusha. Who else can't they marry? A Giyoret, right? Can they, they can marry an Almana. The Kohen Gadol can't. Huh? So this is where it gets complicated because let's, I'm just going to say this word. It means Isha Zona. Now in, 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 in modern Hebrew, that means a prostitute, but the Rambam gives definitions of what an Isha Zona means. Like, you know the, you know the, the Moroccan last name, Azulai? Have you heard of that name? That stands for Isha Zona Bachalala Loi Kachel. They're Kohanim in that family. Um, in its origins, they're Kohanim. The Rambam's definition of, of, of a zona, Isha Zona is not someone that you, you think Khalila has to sell yourself in, in street corners. There's, there's a lot of different deas in the Rambam, uh, understanding the Rambam, what that means. So when Reb Tzadok Akoyan, and this I want to stress because I don't want anyone be, to be rubbed the wrong way, Lefech. Reb Tzadok Akoyan is an ilui of all iluis. Imagine if Chas V'Shalom, you, you're, 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 if it happened to your, someone you're, you, you love very much, that's very dear to you, there's all these reports coming, coming to you about your wife, and then you're set up to actually see something kimat happen with your own eyes. He said, when he would come to these me'ar he was saying, guys, listen, I'm a Kohen. Even if I wasn't a Kohen, this, all this would be completely legit. But al-achas ka'a that I'm a Kohen, I can't live with her. I can't live with her. And even though he was told she's kshera, he said, listen, even if you're telling me she's kshera, I have a halacha that tells me Otherwise, and I can't live with her halachically. But later, as you know, later in life, like he had that sentence, that, that, that moment where he said, You know, I should have listened maybe to the Chidush Yarim's pointing out one pina of a telesphos that maybe I misread. It's not, there's not someone, Khalila, that you, you, you would say, Oh my God, how could we learn Laifich? This is someone that is such a deep, deep, deep neshama. And such a gaon shebegaonim, and someone who left for us something uh, uh, huge, just just so big Torah-wise. Um, I thought we'd have enough time to get to, to really get into his Torah today. What time is it? It's, it's just so frightening because his whole life was shaped by other people's kina. His whole life. His whole life. So so someone wrote a paper once on what does it mean that kina motziet adam in haolam. Kina doesn't just take you out of being, if you're jealous of someone, that it takes you out of your own world because your eyes are on someone else. It also, that ayin harab can put a person, shape a whole person's life and you know, get you wandering. And in his situation, not being zochet to have your own children, which obviously is the only, you know. 
and not going to, yeah, this, this, it seems like this like followed him wherever he went. But one thing's for sure is that it, it didn't follow him in one place. When he shut off his eyes and ears from the world, from Olam Azeh, and was connected to Olam Emet, you could be sure that you're talking right now to a person that's free from any type of Shiabud of this world when you learn his Torah. His Torah removes you from the confines of this world. Reb Tzadik Akoyin's Torah gives us new eyes. There's no other way of describing it. Completely new eyes of, like I said, someone that knew everything and taught about everything. So we have, we have a big, big journey. There's a few sparring, beautiful... One safer, I, I went to one of the Hasidish bookstores a few years ago. And I, it's, eh, the guy knows me. He's like, It's so funny when these, like, you know, these Vizhnitzers, they're sitting behind the, the, the desk all day long, but they're all dressed and they're all talking Yiddish all day long. They see, like, a guy like me that comes in, they finally can use a word they learned that they can never use <laughs> for these other guys, right? And I'm like, Last time someone said bomba to me, I was like in Kitachet or something. Uh, bomba, Tortumashu bomba. I was like, sure. And he, he's like, and he pulls this up from one of the back shelves. And it's called Otsar Hamachshava Shal Rabbi of Lublin. It's a book they don't put in the front over there because people would, it's not for everybody. I'm not saying it's for me. He just, he thought it was for me. I'm starting to look into it. This is a bomba. Okay, he's right. He's right. What they did was, I don't know who this Chevre is, but they went into all the Sfarim we have at Reb Tzadok, and they divided it into, into chapters that are called Ein Yeush, all the titles from Reb Tzadok about fighting despair, Hashgacha, what does Hashgacha mean in the world of Reb Tzadok HaKoyim? Emuna, Emet, Bitachon, Or V'choshech, um, what does it mean to have said Dishmaya, what does it mean to love, how do you daven, how do you relate to Yeridot Ve'aliyot? What does it mean to have Simcha through the, through the Ramchal, the Arizal, the Baal Shem Tov, and the Meshi Loach, the way the Reb Tzadok did it, and balancing Yira Ve'ahava. So we, the table's set. Like, there, there's... Be'emet, be'pnimiyot shaladvarim. I know this Chevra is on Kufla Metet. We know they're learning for 139 weeks. We, if we said to ourselves, we're dedicating 40 years to learn Reb Tzadok, we wouldn't be bored. I'm not saying that yet. I'm not putting any limits on it, but I felt the need to like to our the faculties of 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 the of the mind that we use for Talmud Torah. This is a completely new brain that is drilled with the world of the Gra and with the world of the Baal Shem Tov and complete shalom between the two worlds. No problems. It's someone that mastered both worlds and saw how they're all one. And we're going to have, Be'ezrat Hashem, we should have, I'm davening right now, we should have tons of Sadi Shmaya on this journey. And Be'ezrat Hashem, next week, there's still some more pieces from his life we're going to mention, but we're going to go into the Torah of Be'ezrat Hashem next week. Mm-hmm. All right, Mishra Koach, everyone, thank you for coming.